Hello and welcome to the Women Inspire podcast with me, Laura Adams. This is the podcast that inspires us by honouring remarkable women past and present. Women whose achievements have perhaps gone unrecognised, been forgotten or at times completely erased and whose stories are crying out to be told. It was 1942 and the world was at war. After Japan's attack on Pearl Harbor, America had entered the conflict and times were bleak. Some Hollywood stars were joining up to serve their country and others were doing their bit raising money for the war effort. But one movie star, perhaps the most beautiful of them all, was working hard into the small hours of the night on a new invention that might just change the course of the war. Together with composer George Anthile, she was working on a groundbreaking new communication system, able to guide torpedoes to their targets, and which involved the use of frequency hopping. The name of this glamorous actress, whose beautiful face was matched by a brilliant mind, was Hedy Lamarr, and here is the story of her extraordinary life. Hedy Lamarr was born Hedwig Eva Maria Keisler on the 9th of November 1914 in Vienna, Austria. Both parents were of Jewish descent, but Hedy was raised as a Catholic, although it's unlikely she was ever baptised. Hedy said her mother had wanted a boy and she was aware of the disappointment. Her beauty wasn't immediately apparent and she said, My mother always called me an ugly weed, so I never was aware of anything until I was older. Plain girls should have someone telling them they are beautiful. Sometimes this works miracles. From the beginning, Hedy was a dreamer, spending hours alone creating plays with her dolls and acting out fairy tales. And her interest in gadgets started at the age of five when she pulled her music box apart and found that she was able to quite easily put it together again. She was intellectually curious and was fascinated by knowing how things worked. Her father, a bank manager whom she adored, was himself a lover of technology and would explain things to her when they were out on their walks together, from streetcars and electric trolleys to how a factory was able to generate electricity. And at school, she excelled in the chemistry classes. Inventing things came naturally to Hedy. She would create all manner of contraptions for her father. And she later said, I guess I came from a different planet. She was brought up in a heavily Jewish, artistic and liberal part of Vienna. In her teenage years, she became aware of her beauty and the power that wielded and describes herself as non terrible. She was set on an acting career and in 1930, at the age of 16, she walked into the largest film studio in Vienna. She was given a bit part in a romantic comedy called Money in the Streets, playing a young girl in a nightclub. She was paid around $5, but it was a start. Her parents were supportive, recognising that Hedy had been an actress since she was a baby. More substantial roles in films and on stage followed, but it was the movie Ecstasy, in which she took the leading role, that was to prove a turning point in her life. In the film, Hedy appears naked, and it was the first time that a woman had ever simulated an orgasm on screen, and this was considered scandalous at the time. The Pope denounced it, and Hitler refused to allow it to be shown. Hedy had been marked down as a certain type of woman. 
She decided to keep her head down and worked in theatre for a time, achieving considerable success and catching the eye of a munitions tycoon, Friedrich Mandel, one of the richest and most powerful men in Austria, who was on first-name terms with Mussolini and who had close connections to the Nazi party, despite being of Jewish descent. They married in August 1933. Hedy, at just 18, had been seduced by the power and glamour of this older man, but the marriage turned out to be oppressive and restrictive. They lived in his castle, and her job was to look beautiful on his arm, but she was bored and restless. Handel forbade her acting career and was controlling and manipulative to the extent that he tried to buy up all the prints and negatives of her film Ecstasy, which he had labelled as obscene. By 1937, the political situation in Austria was by now desperate. Jews were no longer allowed out on the streets, and her father died suddenly from a heart attack, almost certainly due to stress. Hedy was traumatised, and in the meantime, her husband had become convinced she was having an affair. She realised that she had to escape. However, she was aware that due to her husband's paranoia, people were watching her all the time. So one night, during a dinner party, she found a maid who resembled her and discreetly slipped sleeping powder into her drink. She put on the maid's outfit, rode away on a bike and made her way to the station to catch a train for Paris. Soon she found herself in London and here she stayed with friends of her parents. She met movie mogul Louis B. Mayer, who was scouting for European actresses for his MGM movie empire. On meeting Hedy, he offered her $120 a week to sign with him. Unimpressed, Hedy turned him down, but it would appear that she had second thoughts. She booked herself onto the ocean liner, the Normandy, on which she knew he would be sailing back to America, with the intention of renegotiating her contract. By the time the liner had docked in New York, Hedy had been able to secure a contract for $500 a week, and having been kitted out in Dior and Chanel on board ship, she stepped out with a designer wardrobe and suitcases to match. Not only that, but she had now been renamed Hedy Lamar, after a friend of Mayer's wife. Not long after, Mayer proclaimed Hedy was the most beautiful woman in the world, and the press fell in love with her. In Hollywood, she began to take English lessons and worked on adopting an American accent for the movies. She was also put on a diet and lost 16 pounds in an attempt to attain a more American-style figure. At the time, this was considered par for the course for an aspiring Hollywood actress and she didn't question it. After a boring few months when little happened, her big break came when she was offered a part in the film Algiers. She captivated audiences and her star quality was clear, compared favourably with Greta Garbo and Marlene Dietrich, and on the cover of every magazine, she was now a star. She purchased a luxury home in Beverly Hills, which she redecorated and had a custom-made swimming pool installed. Meanwhile, her homeland of Austria had been invaded by the Nazis and World War II was looming. She started to date the screenwriter Jean Markey, and early in 1939 they married. Later that year, Hedy began the process of adopting a son, James. The circumstances of the adoption are curious, as years later, his birth certificate was found to list him as the son of Hedy and another film star, John Loder. This led to speculation that James was in fact Hedy's son. 
Hedy then married Jean Markey before giving birth, giving him up for adoption, only for Hedy and her husband to adopt the baby a few months later. As a DNA test has never been done, however, this has never been proved and it is still a mystery. Hedy, meanwhile, shot the film Lady of the Tropics, in which she played a mixed-raced woman whose ethnicity was part Vietnamese and part European. While today this would be seen as deeply offensive, it was common practice in Hollywood at the time. She received mixed reviews and another film, I Take This Woman, with Spencer Tracy, fared no better. Meanwhile, after just months of their marriage, Marky began to date other women, which devastated Hedy, and the two separated, divorcing in October 1940. Hedy was now a single working mother. She began filming Boomtown, opposite Clark Gable, which was a hit, and her next film, Comrade X, was a critical triumph for her. But the studio system was relentless, with the actors filming six days a week and well into the night. Film star Betty Davis described it as like a slave system and that they were being worked like racehorses. Their contracts bound them to the studio for seven years. Other successes followed, but Hedy felt she was typecast and was bored. What was sustaining her was that at the end of the day, Hedy would make her way home to work on her latest invention. Inventing was her hobby. She had an inventing table set up in her house and after befriending the eccentric aeronautics pioneer Howard Hughes, he gave her a small version of the equipment for her trailer that she could use between takes. It was around this time that she was ready to make her most important contribution to the world. Hughes and Hedy understood each other. He was attempting to build the fastest aeroplanes in the world, intending to sell them to the US Air Force. She believed his planes were too slow and she bought a book of fish and a book of birds to look at the fastest of each kind. She combined the fins of the fastest fish and the wings of the fastest bird to sketch a new wing design for Hughes' planes. She loved to improve things. She upgraded a stoplight and invented a tablet that dissolved in water which made a soda similar to Coca-Cola for use by servicemen posted abroad. In late 1941, Japan had bombed Pearl Harbour and America had entered the war. During her marriage to Mandel, Hedy had acquired knowledge on munitions and various weaponry. She now became aware that controlled torpedoes were being used and she began to experiment with ways that a device may be invented which interfered with the signal. She collaborated with her friend, composer George Anthile, and together they developed a social radio guidance system for torpedoes, which would use multiple channels rather than just a single frequency. It was called frequency hopping, and this would prevent the enemy eavesdropping and being able to analyse the signal and pinpoint the location of incoming torpedoes. They conceived the idea as akin to different notes being played on the piano, and in 1942 a patent was created for the invention and the US Navy was notified. The invention was way ahead of its time, and to their detriment, the Navy ignored it. Only several years later would they fully understand the importance of what had been invented. With the invention rejected... Hedy turned instead to supporting the war effort with her celebrity by entertaining the troops and selling war bonds. Her mother, who'd been taking refuge in Britain since the Nazi takeover of Austria, had made her way to join her daughter in Hollywood and took up residence nearby. Hedy, meanwhile, was warned by Louis B. Mayer never to speak of her Jewish heritage.
Hedy's career was thriving at the time, and in the summer of 1942, she married her third husband, John Loder, the supposed father of her son James. They had two more children together, but were divorced only a few years later. Hedy left MGM in 1945 and formed a production company. She produced and starred in two film noir pictures, but this in itself was groundbreaking and it was not welcomed by a misogynistic Hollywood establishment. Not all her films were successes, but in 1949 she starred in Samson and Delilah with Victor Mature. It was the second highest grossing film of the decade, and Hedy's Delilah, perhaps her most well-known role, was widely praised. Married again, this time to band leader Ernest Stauffer, the family moved to Mexico. The children found their new environment difficult and Hedy sent them to boarding school in San Francisco. The elder son, James, was by now an adolescent and he was very unhappy. Hedy was deeply hurt when he chose to stay with a teacher and her family and they became estranged. His letters to Hedy were returned unopened. Hedy and Ernest divorced soon after, with Hedy citing him as being physically abusive and she married her fifth husband, the oil tycoon W. Howard Lee. She went to live with him in Texas and again became a trophy wife and was feeling frustrated. On a visit to the ski resort of Aspen, Colorado, however, she was inspired by how much it reminded her of her homeland and spent years creating an Austria in Colorado. Hedy's fifth marriage ended acrimoniously, with them both in court accusing the other of abuse. The day she was due in court to testify, her son was in a serious car accident and she sent a body double to testify for her. The judge was so incensed that he cut her share of the divorce settlement. At this very low point in her life, Hedy collapsed and had a breakdown. She claimed that her father was the greatest love of her life and no one would ever live up to him. Only one more short marriage followed before this too quickly collapsed and it was to be her last. Hedy had also sunk into a spiral of drug addiction, which had almost certainly started when she was part of the Hollywood studio system, and she had become hooked on shots of the drug methamphetamine, which caused erratic behaviour. She wrote an infamous Hollywood autobiography but hated it, and afterwards claimed it was mostly fabricated by her ghostwriter, and she would sue the publisher for printing what she claimed was false material. However, she was not able to stop it becoming a bestseller. In January 1966, Hedy faced the humiliation of being arrested for shoplifting, possibly the result of mental illness. Although her work had for the most part dried up, she was still a glamorous star and why she did it was a mystery, though she claimed it was all a big misunderstanding. She had been pulled over in a car shortly before the incident and suspected of being under the influence. She persuaded the police officer that she was sober enough to drive and he let her go. She then went shopping, dropped various items into her bag and stepped out of the store without paying, whereupon she was confronted by the store detective. The police were called and she was arrested. While she was quickly released, she was pilloried at a press conference the following day. She was dropped from the film production she was currently working on and had to appear in court to face charges. She was found not guilty by a sympathetic jury, but her reputation was damaged. Hedy now became almost a caricature of herself, ridiculed in the press and seen as a joke. 
She had also been having plastic surgery in an attempt to keep her looks and took an active part in the process, pinpointing the best places to cut and she was a groundbreaker in the field. However, as time went on, she was not able to live up to people's idealised image of her and she had plastic surgery that went wrong. The public were cruel, lamenting the loss of her beauty. She withdrew into her shell and holed up in a New York apartment to get away from the limelight. Hedy was now rarely seen. Her money also ran out and she was reduced to living on $300 a month from Social Security. In her later days, she would spend her time watching old movies from her heyday in Hollywood. In 1974, Hedy sued Warner Brothers and director Mel Brooks for $100,000 for using a parody of her name, Hedley Lamar, in the film Blazing Saddles, which she claimed infringed on her right to privacy. Brooks chose not to fight it, and the studio settled out of court for a small sum, an apology for almost using her name. In the 1980s, she moved to Florida, and there was a further shoplifting charge. But it was also around this time that the scientific community started to rediscover her invention and realise its importance to the world. Eventually, it was acknowledged to be a forerunner for modern applications such as Bluetooth, mobile phones and Wi-Fi. However, by this time, the patent had expired and Hedy was never to receive a single payment for her revolutionary invention. In 1997, she received an award from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which finally recognised her contribution to the world. She declined to show up in person to collect it, but instead sent her son Tony, and in the acceptance speech, he played a message from her in which she said how good she felt about the invention and that it had not been in vain. She received a standing ovation. Finally, at the end of her life, she had been given the recognition she deserved and her great achievement was acknowledged. On January the 19th, in the year 2000, Hedy Lamar fell asleep and did not wake up. But she died in the knowledge that the achievement of which she was most proud and which would have such a dramatic effect on the world had been recognised. The market value of her invention is said to be approximately $30 billion. And at the end of the film Bombshell, an extraordinary documentary about her life, they claim that if current trends continue, experts believe that almost every person in the world will soon be connected by Hedy's invention of frequency hopping. In 2014, Hedy and Anthile were posthumously inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame. It strikes me that Hedy's life was one of extremes. Her beautiful face masked a brilliant mind. A glamorous Hollywood career masked drug addiction and would lead to desperate attempts to retain her looks and a struggle with mental illness. She endured six unhappy marriages to men who would never live up to the love of her life, her beloved father. For all her fame and fortune, much of Hedy's story is incredibly sad but her talent and passion for science and invention and an extraordinary achievement which has made such an impact on the world should be an inspiration to us all and everyone should know the story of a quite remarkable woman. 
Thank you for listening to the Women Inspire podcast. If you'd like to know more about Hedy Lamar, please see the show notes on the podcast page of our website, womeninspire.co.uk, where you can also read about our latest events and read our blogs. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and help us spread the word about Women Inspire. Join me next time to hear the story of a pioneering athlete who became the first black tennis player to win Wimbledon. In the meantime, all the best until then.